You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 39 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are doing well. First of all, my apologies to all of you that heard an unedited version of last week's episode. Rest assured, there is nothing wrong with your internet connection. The issue can be traced back to a late night editing session, which is, of course, a similar time of day that I'm recording this intro. So hopefully this week's edit will be a little bit better than last week's. But anyway, the issue should be rectified now. If you play back to episode 38, you should get the edited version of the episode. So on to this week's episode. Uh, March has been a rather interesting month for the art scene in Singapore, isn't it? We are halfway through the month and we have already heard so much about the arts. So first, we hear about the closure of the substation in July followed by the announcement of the new University of the Arts, and then a 20 million top-up to a fund that is designed to fund the arts industry in Singapore. And in the midst of all this news, we have an article and story of a conductor turned food delivery man in Singapore. My guest today is indeed the man that puts on his pink uniform every morning and delivers your favourite bubble tea or McGriddles. Yes, it's the famous Amos, the man himself, Amos Chia. On this episode, we talk about his time living in Russia, his thoughts about conducting symphonic repertoire, operas and ballet, we also spoke about the frustrations that a young music graduate might face in Singapore, his pep talk for a young person planning to pursue music professionally, and his intended outcome behind his very interesting article. This has been a great conversation that took me by surprise. But enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Amos. My guest today has taken the internet by storm with his recent article, so much so that I have friends from Thailand and the UK sharing it on their social media. Prior to his return home to Singapore, he has spent time in Russia as a conductor, and today I am looking forward to find out more about him as a person and as an artist. Welcome to the show, Amos. How are you doing today? Hi. 
Thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. All good. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, really looking forward to this chat with you. Uh, you're a bit of a famous Amos now, if I may say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the article has gone absolutely viral. My wife says it's in like Cambodia and Mexico and it's just everywhere right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I do appreciate you taking your time out to speak with me. So thank you so much. So uh, let's oh, get welcome. things rolling. Let's start off with your time living in Russia. So uh, prior to your return to Singapore, you've been living in Russia for how long? And where did you live in Russia? So I've been in St. Petersburg for quite some time, um, about eight years now. Mm. Quite interestingly, the city I live in doesn't feel very stereotypically Russian because it is known as the cultural capital of Russia. Um, also, it's the most European city in Russia. It's a really lovely mix of kind of like Paris, Venice and Amsterdam. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it was quite daunting at first because I didn't speak the language and of course I'm a minority, but it has gotten a lot more friendly uh, mm. over the years after especially after the, the world cup right um, pe people value the arts and culture they value interpersonal relationships and the hierarchy of needs is quite different from the materialism in singapore mm. i.e you know the five c's you know? right okay <laughs> there you go At, uh so like you said you know st petersburg sounds really amazing from the way you've described it was language still a big problem there just because like you said it's so much of a hybrid of different cultures um yeah i i first came to st petersburg not knowing a single word of russian um, it was very very difficult we had to study russian three hours a day mm. every single day right now i do speak russian but it does get a little bit rusty whenever I'm away. Mm. Yeah, but I can still get by, you know, just very simple daily conversations is fine. But if you want me to sort of have a really philosophical discussion, <laughs> then that, that, that would be a problem. <laughs> okay, okay. So do you feel that uh, the Russian slowly draining away from you as you <laughs> start living in Singapore yeah, all the time? Sometimes it comes and goes. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Of course, with Russia, there's always this thing. Maybe it's a lot of the films and a lot of the pop culture that, that has given us this impression. Is this obsession with vodka and they kind of have it any time of the day? Uh, is it true? Is that really an obsession there with vodka? Uh, yes, so vodka is like the miracle um, water. You know, everyone uses vodka for everything, even before COVID. So if you have a stain on the floor, you use vodka. If you have a funny scent on your coat, you spray vodka. You know, everything is vodka. Nice. Uh, pe people drink a lot because alcohol is very, very cheap over there. Most of the time, it costs the same as any other, any other beverage, you know. Mm. Um, and a pint of beer at a typical sort of pub, you can go for a dollar fifty, you know, just for one pint of beer. So, yeah, people do drink a lot, and of course, that's a health problem in Russia. 
Um, I myself, I don't really drink. In fact, I, I don't drink at all. All right. So yeah, I try to keep a good, healthy lifestyle. <laughs> okay. Just want to say, even if you do, there's no judgment here. Yeah. In fact, maybe if you uh, know of my slight habit, we might be in disagreement. Yeah. But oh, it's good. <laughs> well, the the most interesting thing is the best vodka are not Russian anymore. They are actually Finnish. Finnish mm. vodkas are actually better than the Russian ones. They are a lot smoother. So okay. I guess, you know, maybe in a, in a few more decades, uh, it would be a Finnish thing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is this a common sentiment or would the Russians get angry when you say things like that? Um, <laughs> the people who know their stuff would know the Finnish vodka right. is better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So, uh, Recently, I've also uh, found out that you have to say goodbye to your wife who has returned to Russia, which is, of course, very sad. And uh, I, myself, have been through four years of long-distance relationship when I lived in the UK, so I perfectly understand how you feel. Uh, so what's the, the the issue here? You know, uh, I am under the impression that if uh, you were here, she could just stay for as long as she want. Is that not correct? Yeah. So my wife was with me in Singapore for the last three months, uh, but she had to return as her application for the long-term visitor pass was denied due to the strict, strict regulations in Singapore, mm. even though we are married for a couple of years now. So basically I'm not gainfully employed and I haven't, um, sort of contributed any income tax or you know CPF so Singapore pension right, right. Uh, I, I haven't contributed for six months because I, I've been away for more than five six years so mm. obviously I don't do that um, but we do have a year-long social past but the issue is she could only stay for a maximum of 90 days each time and she has to leave for maybe a day and she could come back. But with the current situation, it's impossible, you know, to she can't just go to to Malaysia for a day. Mm. She has to, the nearest country that's open is probably Thailand, but she has to be there for 14 days and then when she comes back to Singapore, another 14 days and you have to pay the quarantine fee. So... It's just not feasible. I uh, see. She's, she's back in Russia for now. Mm. I do miss her, of course. Uh, we have spent every single minute together for the last year. We are quite attached and clingy to each other. I guess it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but we know that we have to do what we need to do. Me hustling in Singapore and she in Russia. Mm. And thankfully, we're in the 21st century, so everyone is connected via the internet. Yeah. Uh, we always just make sure that we you know, speak to each other every day and just video call whenever we are free. Mm. It's it's tricky, isn't it? What's the sort of time difference that both of you are facing at the moment? Um, it used to be four hours, but right now it's five. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's a little tricky, but it's not too bad. I see. So am I taking up your precious time uh, no. with, your, <laughs> with your wife? It's, it's, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, of course, this whole uh, pandemic and this whole COVID situation kind of almost everybody by surprise. I think there, there is a fair number of people who thought that this would be over around this time last year. 
you know, people thought that this uh, this pandemic is not going to be here for the long haul. We could get by this really quickly, like most other sort of viruses that we faced. So uh, if you could still remember, right, can you bring us back to what your your work week looks like prior to COVID? Um, yeah, I was a guest conductor with some theatres and orchestras in Europe, you know, the Scandinavian area, the Baltic states. So basically Eastern Europe. I know the article, some articles has been calling me um, a famous or world-renowned conductor. That's not really true. They're probably trying to sell the article. I, I'm just trying to get by, you know, just trying to get by. I do conduct a couple of concerts each month and I'm slowly building up my profile as a young conductor. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I decided to return to Singapore as my engagements for the last year, they were all cancelled. And I know that working in Singapore in any capacity would be better than in Europe during the pandemic. Mm, and okay. of course, it's much safer in Singapore. Cases are much lower. Yeah. Mm, I see. And of course, uh, I think people should also know that at uh, you are 30 this year, I believe. And mm, that is actually yes, yeah, a, a very, very young age for a conductor. 30 years old for myself as a performer my career is pretty much set right the, you know a competition nothing is too late you know <laughs> yeah. everyone's has their time and place the right time in the right place and they will find the perfect harmony yeah in there the you universe go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're extremely kind yeah so what would a, your normal day look like you know as a guest conductor are you studying rehearsing and you know or what, what else do you get up to usually my normal day well I, I wake up in the morning i cook my meals for my wife i basically cook every meal for my wife anyway mm -hmm. um and then i would just start studying and i would sort of practice a bit of piano just the piano part in a vocal score and then Basically, just studying, polishing up my Italian, my German, and then I do have some personal time. So I either go to the gym, or I just do, you know, very regular Joe things. I watch Netflix. I play the Nintendo Switch. Uh, you know, stuff like that. I do read books sometimes. Uh, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I'm not the most intellectual person who reads a book a day but I do enjoy a very good book mm. uh, and I do enjoy just sitting around and reading a good book sometimes when the weather is right I would have a nice walk with my wife or just by myself you know stuff like that um, right. when I'm off for work it's usually the the very usual thing so we just go to a rehearsal and when we are done, we just go back to the hotel. You know, people always think that it's a beautiful life. You know, you get to travel the world and you get to visit the cities and do sightseeing. And that's not very true. We are really exhausted after each rehearsal. We are mentally exhausted. We have to review what we have done and we have to prepare for the next rehearsal. So it's usually just rehearsals, hotel, grab a meal, and then you sleep and then rehearsals again. So... There That's you go. Like the usual routine. I see. I see. So not as glamorous as most people would think. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Lo yeah. <laughs> lots of hours working in the hotel. 
Cool. And when is the next time you foresee yourself returning back to some form of conducting stage? I actually got my work visa for Japan today. I, I received it today. So wow, congratulations. That's, that's, that's great because uh, I've been telling people that I'm heading there, but it's still kind of like we're not too sure because the work visa is really very tricky right now, but I got it. So I'm heading to Tokyo in, I think, 12 days to work with Ricardo Buti as nice. a conducting fellow at the Tokyo Spring Festival. And then I would conduct a concert version of Verdi's Macbeth nice. for this year at the, if I'm not wrong, the Tokyo Bunka Kaikan. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. After which I would immediately return to Russia where I'm engaged to conduct a symphonic concert. Uh, this is overdue because it was supposed to be this month, but I decided to go to Japan first because if I head to Russia first, I probably can't enter Japan. Mm. So I have a symphonic concert with the Alania Marinsky Orchestra and then also I'll be conducting Traviata. Nice. Uh, most orchestras and theatres in Russia now only plan their concerts about a couple of weeks in advance because of the COVID, just in case something happens and they have to shut down. So for now, it's this stuff, but I think it looks kind of good. So there's still some things along the way. I'm looking to conduct Aida and Rigoletto too. So that would be in May. Nice. Sounds really exciting. And I believe this is not the first time you're going to be working with Ricardo Muti. Is this your second time or? Yes, it's my second time. I was supposed to work with him last year, but things got cancelled and I was stranded in Japan. It was the most difficult time of my life, but also the best time of my life because I grew up in Japan and it's just simply fantastic to spend like a few months there again it's mm. just fantastic but it was difficult too because you know tokyo is an expensive city to live in yeah and having no engagements which mean meant that i have to dip into my savings for the rent and food and everything yeah mm. so uh i first worked with him in 2019 and it's supposed to be a three-year program so 2019 to 2021, but since last year's cancelled, so it's up to next year. Nice. Sounds really exciting. And uh, speaking of Japan, do you know, uh, I actually had my holiday trip to Japan cancelled oh. because of COVID. Uh, yeah. And I got yeah, really cheap tickets as well. So it's like, ah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's really real a bummer. Always, yeah. always a bummer. But it's always yeah. the future, you know. Yeah. Are, things are always there, I I realized, because I, I visited some places um, in Kyoto, where I used to go when I was young, and mm. it's, it looks exactly the same. So they'll always be there. They will withstand all the trials of time and probably they'll still be there when we are dead. <laughs> yeah, most so likely. Don't yeah. don't worry, you know, yeah. things will get better. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And definitely I'll hit you up for a couple of spots to hit uh, if I'm returning yeah, back to Japan. Definitely, I'll give you some like life hacks. And- <laughs> yeah, life hacks, perfect. Yeah, yeah, how to get yeah. by in Japan. Yeah, so now let's talk about your career and how it has developed so far over the years. So let's go way back to when you first got acquainted with music and how it became serious and how it led you to where you are today. 
Alright, um, I first started conducting much later than my other fellow Singaporean conductors, you know, like Kachun, Darrow, um, Joshua. I started at age 22, um, so that was much later. Mm. Before that, I won a Trinity College of Music scholarship when I was younger uh, in Singapore. and I was trained as a pianist and composer in London at the Trinity Laban uh, Conservatoire Music and Dance, that's the full name, it's a mm. handful, and the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Yeah. So it was during this time where I became an assistant conductor to the late John Foster. He was the youngest professor ever appointed at the RCM and was also the head of conducting. So it's all, it's all true chance. Um, there, there was a need for a volunteer to sort of conduct the composer's works and I was the sort of volunteer, I just wanted to do something more. And at that time, there wasn't a conducting program in Trinity Laban, so the only ways to learn conducting while watching the guest conductors. Mm. So it was all true chance and I just became an assistant conductor. Um, eventually, I was recommended to St. Petersburg. I did hop through several countries before that. Um, I was in Netherlands, and I did apply to you know Vienna, um, Berlin, uh, Leipzig, and also Finland. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I was recommended to St. Petersburg, and I started conducting with uh, Leonid Kochmar at the St. Petersburg Conservatory. Okay. And the, the course was six years long. I see. So wow. that was a really, really long course. It was a sort of direct master's course. Mm. And in my fourth year, I made my debut conducting a modern kind of operetta thing. It's up to this date, I have no idea what it is because it sounded like an operetta. It sounded like a musical. So I'm not really sure what that was, but <laughs> it was kind of like a modern thing with the yeah, St. Petersburg Music Hall Theatre at the right. International Cultural Forum. I guess nobody wanted to do that because it was too modern. Okay. So I was the emergency substitute conductor. Yeah. So you got a young chap that grabs yeah. onto anything and runs with yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah for definitely. Sure. Mm. And then eventually I got noticed. So I was invited to assist the French conductor Yann Pascal Tortillier mm-hmm. at the Iceland Symphony Orchestra. And it was a beautiful place, Reykjavik. It's fantastic. The orchestra is great. The concert hall was fantastic. Um, I assisted him when he was chief conductor in 2016 to 2017. Um, and I was also on tour with him with the BBC Philharmonic in the UK. It wasn't a big tour, it's just like a little tour. Uh, and we did some recordings on Chandos also. So that was really, really great. Mm. And so after shuttling between Europe and Russia for a couple of years and my my studies weren't too great, I wasn't the best student, <laughs> uh, I found myself back and spending a little bit more time in Russia in 2018 because that was when I met my future wife too. Mm. And I started to focus a little more on opera and ballet because since I was in the cultural capital, I might as well do something a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a regular guest conductor of the Buryat Opera and Ballet Theatre, that's very near the famous Lake Baikal. 
And in the same year, I was invited to make my debut with the brand new Alanya branch of the world-famous Marinsky Theatre. So a little background on that, Mm -hmm. the Marinsky Theatre, it's a world-famous organisation. So they are doing something great by sort of saving the lesser theatres in Russia and sharing resources. So right now, we actually have a Marinsky Theatre, the Marinsky 2, the Marinsky 3, the Marinsky Primorsky, which is in Vladivostok, and now the Alanya Marinsky Theatre. Some Russians do not like that because they want every theatre to have their own identity. But I think we should look towards the future, you know, by, by gaining the Marinsky name, you get to share your resources, not just finances, but you get world-class singers coming to these other cities to perform. Mm. So it's a fantastic concept. Just just pretend the Singapore Symphony Orchestra buys out a tiny orchestra in, say, Tampines, you know, and then mm. they name it the Singapore Symphony Orchestra Tampines branch. I see. Okay. So it, it's, a very, it's a very good concept. It's a very good idea. So yeah. um, I was invited to make my debut with the Alanya branch and I became a sort of permanent guest conductor there. Mm. And in 2019, I was selected by Riccardo Muti to participate in the Italian Opera Academy in Tokyo. So he has an Italian Opera Academy in Italy, but he started one in Tokyo after he won the Imperial Prize for music. And the very special thing about this academy is is that unlike the one in Italy, it's really competitive here because Mm. the winners would get to assist him and do concerts for three years at the Tokyo Spring Festival. Mm, So instead of a two-week fellowship program, we continue for three years. I see. And then, of course, the pandemic happened in 2020 and I'm back to square one. (laughs) So I've not been really in the circuit for too long. Maybe I've been professional for four to five years. So it's not really fair to call myself like world-renowned. I guess it's because it's a little rare and uncommon to see an Asian ballet and opera conductor because most people associate you know opera conductors with the italians or the germans Mm. so i guess it was kind of like a gimmick and you know the media you can't trust the media all the time yeah yeah yeah. but i mean you kind of i think you're also sort of like selling yourself a little bit short there i think uh, what what you've shared with us sounds absolutely absolutely amazing right so so many of us wish to uh trade careers you know (laughs) actually yeah and you know you mentioned that you started out as a pianist and you receive uh, a scholarship to go to the trinity college of music and or the Trinity uh, Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, um, at what age did you leave Singapore? Or were you based in Singapore so, before that? Yes, I was based in Singapore for many, many years. I mean, I did the whole primary school thing. I, I was overseas before. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad traveled a lot. So, I was in Kyoto. I was in Tianjin. Actually, I was in Hong Kong. And then back to Kyoto. Uh, and I came back to Singapore when I was seven. So I did the whole Singaporean education system thing. Um, and the whole thing about, you know, every kid back then, we did the ABRSMs, and the diplomas and all that. So I won the scholarship 
during one of my diploma exams. So uh, in case you didn't know, guys, if you do really well back then, you do get an offer to study in the UK. Yeah. So that was and, what happened. Yeah, and how old, and how old were you back then? I was six... How old was I? I think 15 or 16. Okay. So I was shuttling be- between uh, UK and Singapore and my results were bad. But eventually, you know, there was some family issues. And so I ended up living with my mom and I ended up having to come back and I ended up having to defer my studies. So interestingly, I did not do the full two years of junior college in Singapore. Okay. Um, but I did go finish i mean i did finish my a levels um it wasn't too good but i did well in the subjects which mattered you know music literature yeah. <laughs> you know the humanities basically yeah okay and after that i did the army of course and exciting times after the army i yeah exciting <laughs> times really exciting times that's another story for another day yeah uh but after that i left to london again. okay i see so uh, the, the standard sort of trajectory for most Singaporean male uh, leaving yes. <laughs> uh, to further your studies after your national service, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. And what was this thing about conducting that drawn you to be like, you know, I want to take this up? Although, you know, what you have explained is that the conservatory that you were studying in did not offer a conducting course, which means in terms of visibility, it was not really always there seeing conducting students doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So what was it about conducting that really sort of made you interested? Um, well, to be honest, I'm a very pragmatic and a very practical person. So as you can see from the article, you know, you, you can sort of tell. Uh, since we are on this podcast, and I think people should know, I'm a normal person. And at and that time, if you do not know the school tuition fees in the UK, sorry, <clears throat> they were about to increase by quite a bit in the 2010s, I think, around that year, mm. 2010 or 11 or 12. Yeah. yeah. So the scholarship remained the same, which means I had to pay more and my family isn't the best supporter of music and I have been independent. I've been really independent. Um they weren't too supportive and they weren't happy with me being a musician because my sister's a dentist and everything. But a- anyway, so it was about to increase by quite a bit. And the biggest motivation at that time was to actually leave the UK altogether and head to somewhere in Europe where it is cheaper. So it really didn't matter if I did conducting, honestly. I mean, this sounds really shallow and... I'm really sorry if I offend any other of my conducting colleagues who had dreams to be big conductors and they actually tried very, very hard to get into a conducting school. I just needed to remain in the musical scene and I just wanted to study music, be it conducting, piano or composition. But because I injured my wrist in the army and I couldn't become sort of like a world-famous pianist as, as I always wanted to. I miss being on stage. I miss performing. Mm, okay. And I thought, you know, being a conductor brings me back on stage too. So that is the second factor that sort of made me want to switch careers. 
So there's always the sort of pragmatic uh, side to things, and also there's this really idealist thing. You know, you, mm. I want to be back on stage again. Yes, I do feel the thrill on stage. I love to be there. I don't get any kind of stage fright or anything. So I just love it. Yeah. Right, right. And I, I think a couple of things to to say about what you have just mentioned. I think uh, first of all, I I don't think there's a need for you to apologize to uh, anybody. And I find your honesty rather refreshing, to be honest, because not a lot of people speak so blatantly or so openly about their thoughts about having a career in music. People talk about art a lot, but people don't talk about this um, very uh, important and very real element of having a job and sustaining a living and all this kind of important stuff that comes at times before art, or most of the time before art. And I must say that you have rather uh, amazing foresight and look at the the current uh, political state. Since you left (laughs) the UK, uh, is the separation from the EU and all that kind of stuff. Lucky me. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I see. (laughs) I think you've got quite uh, wonderful uh, foresight. Maybe I'll ask you about... uh, what my plans for the future next time, right? I just kind of ring you up. Yeah. So yeah, re- really amazing. And I think uh, good on you. And I think you, you say as though like things just sort of like fall in place for you, but I'm sure you did put in all the work and w- take, did whatever that was necessary to get you to where you are today. I'm sure. Yeah. And now let's talk a little bit. Let's geek out a little bit about conducting. Right, so I'm not sure if you are up for this conversation right. or not. Yeah. Yes, definitely, so, and I can go on and on, but I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. Right. So, uh, as a euphonium player, so just educate me a little bit about this. Right. So you've uh, right now, like you said, you are quite known for being uh, for conducting ballets and operas, and I'm sure you've dabbled in symphonic literature as well. So. In terms of you as a conductor, how do you feel about these different genres of music and do you approach them differently or are they, you just go on and do your job and that's it? Yes, they are really quite different. Uh, Conducting a symphony is definitely the easiest thing. You know, most professional orchestras have a powerful sort of synergy amongst the players. And they also have years of experience performing the exact same repertoire. So basically, you could spend five minutes to teach anyone how to conduct. You know, you know, here in three or Beethoven five in like one, and then you put him in front of a world class orchestra, the Berlin Philharmonica, or you know, any world class orchestra, and you would still produce an amazing concert. Mm. And that's it. It's the easiest thing, actually. You're just acting, you know. Yeah. But of course, say conductor's job is more than that. I think um, because the orchestra is usually closest to the audience in a symphonic concert, it is very important that the conductor is able to change the harmony of the space he's in, you know, just these, this special aura, this special feeling in the room to create sort of a transcendental experience for the audience. So that's the biggest difference between, you know, somebody on the road and and a conductor with a symphonic concert. But uh, in summary, it's, it's usually the easiest. Um, mm. Conducting an opera is probably the most difficult. And 
there is always this saying, if you can conduct an opera, you can conduct anything else. Uh, yeah, because there's so many layers to it. You have to understand the text, the emotions and the drama behind the text and the music and find a way to convey them to your musicians, your singers, and also the audience behind you. Mm. And you have to gain a really deep understanding of the spectrum of emotions. For example, you can't just say, this is sad, you know, but what exactly is sadness? It can range from mal disappointment to a loss of hope to anguish to Tosca. There's, there's such a wide range. Like happiness, it could be, you know, some something aesthetic or just something that you're glad. So it's a conductor's job in opera to express these things in music because it's all drama mm. and well the technical side there are several sort of recitatives which are very technically challenging in opera and they are not found in symphonic or ballet music so that's why if you could master all of these everything else is really easy uh, conducting ballet in my opinion it's not about easy or difficult, but in fact, it's it's like a whole different art. You know, you can't really find a school to teach ballet conducting because mm. it's sort of like something where you need to find like a master to to teach you. You know, like those old Chinese martial arts movie. You must go to the mountain and find a master right. and teach you. Or somewhat you teach yourself, you know, you fall into a cave and you find a book and you teach yourself. <laughs> so okay. I was in that second uh, scenario where I had to teach myself. I had to watch and I had to learn. I spoke to my dancers and I learned. Uh, ballet conducting is a lot about accompanying the dancers and suiting to the needs of the ballet master or choreographer. A conductor have to have complete or has complete creative authority in opera and symphonic conducting. Mm. But in ballet, he or she is at the mercy of the dancers. Okay. You have to be extremely flexible but precise with tempo, extremely, you know, really attentive as you have to react quickly to any changes on stage. You have to also understand the psychology and body language of your dancers and also the physiology and how it affects the whole performance. You know, for mm. example, a taller person would take a longer time to do his jumps. A shorter person would be faster. So there's so many different skills which do not really pertain to music. It's all these extra skills. And on top of that, you have to spend a lot of time learning the ballet terminology okay. and understand how they do these techniques because if you do understand you can sort of estimate the time needed between the lines between the melodies between the notes and you have to memorize the choreography you know in in opera i've met um well pardon me for being frank but i've met many conductors who conduct opera and if you ask them what any word in the text mean they couldn't say they were just yeah i'm just conducting and many conductors could just conduct opera without understanding the libretto honestly like mm. i can teach you to conduct traviata in a day and you don't have to know italian you just conduct it and it's fine right. but for ballet you have to know the choreography because that's the language of ballet mm. which is very tricky because 
there is no way to sort of put it in text. Some of us draw stickmen. I, I do draw certain stickmen on my score and I try to somewhat figure out a, a language to do that. There are mm. some systems in the UK, in Moscow, but there's no unified system of choreography. There's no way to put it in text and often you have to just memorize it and that's really really tricky so you have to put down your ego as a typical maestro and dedicate a lot of time to the art of ballet because i would say 70 percent of the time you are in a ballet class or you're doing something which is not related to to the music at all no most conductors only need to wave your hands and rehearse and synchronize the music but for the dancers, even though his or her variations might be just, I don't know, one to three minutes long, he has put in months and years of work into it. And so if you lose any concentration or just being a little tiny bit selfish, you want it in your tempo, you will ruin him or her and the energy level will be lost, not mm. just on stage, but in the audience too. Okay. So it's a whole different art for ballet. I see, yeah. I see. Really interesting. And uh, this is uh, my first time hearing so much about the, what goes on behind uh, the music of uh, ballet. And, you know, uh, you've obviously worked with a number of choreographers. And you've uh, now mentioned that it's quite important for yourself as conductor to understand the moves of the ballet and the dancers and the different sort of terminologies. Uh, do choreographers also understand the limitations of the orchestra or do they make requests that are at times a little bit uh, impossible? Well, for ballet music, in my opinion, nothing is impossible. You have to make it possible. Okay. So even though it is really stylistically sort of, well, not really incorrect, but it's not really stylistically pretty to do things in in a different tempo or in a different way you have to suit the dancer and it's not impossible because you can just slow things down it's whether you want it or not so you have Mm -hmm. to be really open-hearted you have to have an open mind you have to do it whatever the the choreographers say you have to really accept it you have to say okay you would do it Mm. i know there are some conductors you know they would just say no, this was done at this tempo in a different place in the recording and so on. But um, I wouldn't bash them. I wouldn't say that they are incorrect because every maestro has their own character. But for me, I believe it's really unfair to compare it to a recording because like I mentioned before, you have to understand the physiology and the psychology of every different dancer. You know, perhaps she couldn't do some jumps as well as what another theater does. So Mm. you have to take it slow. It's like a pianist, you know, you can play Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto in an insane tempo. But when you work with another pianist, you can't really tell him, can you play it faster? Because there's a limitation to his technique and everything. Mm. But he still wants to create a wholesome experience, a great performance. So you have to really cast aside your ego. And you have to think, I am a collaborator. I am an accompanist. 
I am the important link between what's on stage and what's in the pit. Mm. And you have to put the music and the art in front of yourself in ballet music. And right. that's why a lot of conductors, they do not like that. Uh, they, they do try their hands in, in ballet and eventually they don't. And most conductors who end up in ballet, they become ballet conductors for life, which I'm also trying to avoid. So I'm trying to find a good balance in, in this. Right, right. Yeah, I like the, the way you describe the conductor as this sort of link between the dance, uh, the dancers on stage and the music and you sort of like pulling the strings, right? Making, making yes. things happen, right? And that's a really nice way to, to put it, I think. Now... Talk us, uh, or talk, talk me through this, uh, the process of rehearsals, because it sounds like the music needs to be performed in a, a fixed tempo or at a certain speed, and we know that this sort of consistency can sometimes be quite challenging. So, uh, we we are not, you know, a live orchestra. It's not a a CD recorder where it's done at one tempo and it just can be repeated. Uh, X number of times, right? However number of times mm -hmm. you want. How does the rehearsal process go? Are there many runs of the same thing that just keeps happening and you just keep doing things again and again? So, okay. So for ballet, it's really, really tricky and that's why I, I said a lot of conductors, they don't like it because you have to spend a lot of time away from the orchestra but still within the theater so most conductors uh i again i don't want to offend anyone but it seems that most conductors would love to have i mean the dream job is to come in conduct the orchestra and leave you know and go back home and just do whatever you want but for a ballet conductor that doesn't happen and a good ballet conductor, I would say, a good ballet conductor, a good young ballet conductor would come in to ballet class at 9 in the morning or 8 in the morning. And then he sits through four hours of ballet class and he understands what tempo is being done in the ballet class because there would be a pianist playing the music live, I mean mm. the reduction live, and you would understand the tempo, you will understand the choreography and the physiology, the psychology and everything. You will understand the dancers. You can speak to them. You will be like, okay, so this part, you're going to do this. Because some theatres, for example, the dancers could be in the air when a chord is being played. But in some theatres, they could land on the chord itself. So you have to understand little variations and little differences in, in, in these things. And then after that, when the actual orchestra rehearsal begins, you could immediately apply the tempo that you have learned in class to the orchestra. Of course, there are fantastic ballet conductors, there are fantastic orchestras, uh, so conductors who do not go for ballet classes, so they'll just rehearse the orchestra as it is. And when the ballet master say, can you do it slower? And he would just do it slower in the... I mean, dress rehearsal or the stage rehearsal itself. But of course, that wastes, that spends a lot of time. I mean, it, it wastes a lot of time. So, and then there can be some friction mm. if he says things like, in the rehearsal, we have done it this tempo. So could you try to ch catch up to us? Because he doesn't understand the limitations in ballet. I see. So yeah, it's, it's a really long process and 
usually when I'm preparing for a ballet, I would volunteer. I would just say, can I come for the ballet class? And they would be really surprised. But mm. I think that it would speed up the rehearsal process. And mm. I mean, you would create a much better performance at the end of the day. Yeah, sounds like a couple of hours really well spent if you attend yeah. the class just to understand the entire production yeah. a little bit more, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. So now, a uh, uh, million dollar question. Your favorite genre to conduct is? Ballet. There you go. Well, I, I love to conduct Italian operas, definitely. But my favorite genre is definitely ballet. It's still ballet. I love the feeling of collaboration between the two different art forms, the chemistry between the conductors and the dancers, and the deep respect and understanding between the performers where in ballet, well, in a very utopian ballet production, everyone is equal. You know, ballet is like an ecosystem. Everyone has a part to play. No one is more important than the other. So if one person becomes a little more selfish, the entire thing just falls apart. Lovely. Yeah, beautiful. I think recently you've spoken up about this idea of eventually contributing back to the Singapore art scene. That means to come back and do some form of work in Singapore that would benefit and contribute to the art scene. And I share your sentiment as well. When I was studying overseas, Uh, there was not a bone in me that thought that I would have my career overseas, right? So the the aim was always study abroad, gain some knowledge, come back and hope that people here can can somehow benefit from it, right? Uh, Of course, uh, me, myself as an individual, it's difficult to to do that, but at least there's an avenue pertaining to euphonium at least, right? So... This can be uh, rather challenging because uh, we perhaps do not get as many opportunities that we would like, both in a performance front or in teaching and whatever it is. And I I believe that the more opportunities local musicians get, the better the quality will become. Right? I think it's a, it's yes, a system. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And if you keep sort of blocking these opportunities, then we will never really progress uh, far. You mentioned that uh, a lot of your gigs were, were cancelled or even if they were not cancelled, they were they got somebody else that is local to replace you. And if you... I mean, I guess that's because you couldn't fly in or or, or something like uh, that. Yeah. Not, not really, not really. Uh... They just, I mean, I was in Russia for a long time and there was a lockdown, theaters were all shut and when they opened again, they started offering some internships. Mm. There's conducting internships, there are uh, musician internships for for musicians, uh, but mostly towards, I mean, they're targeted towards the local young musicians. So that's that's great. I see. Um, I, I, I do think that um, the performance, the problem, or well, if it's a problem of performance opportunities being few and far between by our national arts organizations for arts musicians, uh, 
it's it's not it's not something which only pertains to Singapore, but uh, it's not also a worldwide issue. Like I said, with Russia, when the theaters started to open in limited capacities, there are let's just talk about conductors. You know, they've started to create internships and fellowships for young conductors and assist in their career development. They do the same thing in neighboring Finland even before COVID, where、mm. young conductors are given the opportunity to conduct their regional and national orchestras or assist, and it helps in their careers. You know, some of the world's best young conductors are now Finnish, and they are where they are today not because they have won any competitions. If you actually read their profile, they they haven't won any competitions. Klaus Makela, the new chief conductor in Paris. He hasn't won any competitions,、uh, but it's all thanks thanks to the opportunity received at home, and、mm. they're able to grow. While Singapore has offered scholarships and grants to our local musicians for overseas training and performance opportunities, you know, I I myself received a Singapore Symphony Orchestra bursary or slash、um, scholarship, which is what the Current CEO always calls.、Um, in the end, there are very few internships or traineeships which are relevant to our skills.、Mm. You know,、uh, despite all the NAC grants and and, and everything,、uh, there's not many internships, which is actually like musician internships. We we see traineeships coming up during、yeah. the COVID nineteen、uh, pandemic, but if you look carefully, most of them are. In administration, you、yeah. know, like、uh, traineeship, like arts management. In, but I think what we all want, and the question, well, I'm pretty sure I'm saying this on behalf of everyone in Singapore. What we want is a traineeship in the skills that for the skills that we have. So, for example, if we are a violinist, we want a internship to play the violin. You know,、mm-hmm. don't don't tell us to put down our violin and do PR or marketing. I mean, it's a great skill, but we want to do that. So for us conductors, it's the same thing. We appreciate the grants for you know overseas workshops, and we appreciate the scholarships, you know, NAC scholarships and MDA scholarships. But when we come back and when when things matter the most. Do not tell us. You know, there's an opening for arts management. There's an opening to be an admin assistant, or there's an opening to be a stage manager. You know,、mm-hmm. I guess we all want to hear like, would you like to do a fellowship or internship、uh, with with an with an orchestra? Do you like to play something with a wind band or something?、Mm-hmm. And this is different from being a freelancer because a freelancer, you know, you are kind of. Already professional, but we want that bridge. We want、mm-hmm. that part where we could still work alongside in the relevant skills. So, for example, the I think the Berlin and Vienna Philharmonic, they do have the academy, yes. you know, where where fresh graduates join the academy and they play alongside the orchestra. So they are not exactly freelance. They are not exactly professional, but they are. Being developed into professional musicians, so I think that is what everyone wants. Yeah, I I believe I'm speaking on behalf of everyone. You know, so、yep. stop telling us to why don't we try PR or marketing? 
we we don't want that. I mean, we, of course, we would do anything for money these days. <laughs> um, but you know, at the end of the day, deep in our hearts, any music teacher, any musician in Singapore who is doing something else, we want to go back to performing or doing something on our instruments and on, on our skills, you know. Um, and on top of that, some organizations in Singapore would claim that they are tracking and evaluating Singaporean artists, you know, waiting for them to win a major competition or receive worldwide attention before inviting them home. But I think it's 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 not really the best. It's just... I think they just don't want to take that risk and mm. perhaps a very Asian thing. We evaluate the risk. We, we, we want success without failure, you know? Um, mm. And, and that is not really the best thing because um, when you, I mean, a, a ship is forever safe in a port, you know, mm. it, but that's not what the ship is being built for. It's supposed to, yep. you know, sail out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. uh, but then again, uh, one of our national arts organizations, which is playing a huge part in career development, not only conductors, but also orchestra musicians, is the Singapore Chinese Orchestra. So they're absolutely fantastic, unlike the other institutions, which usually offer internships and traineeships in administration or management. The SEO, if you look at them at the website, and their mm. media releases. They have unique fellowship programs for musicians and composers and in the past called conductors too. My very good friend Moses Gay, he was mm. part of the conducting program and then eventually he became a assistant conductor with the SEO. Yeah. So that's ab absolutely fantastic and I do wish that not just other music flagship organizations but in every single performing arts organization or arts organizations could create something that is a little more relevant. I mean, we would definitely love if we could just play our instrument and also we could do something like a PR thing. So you, you could combine it. You know, we're not saying that we won't do anything in administration, but, you know, still give us a little bit of opportunities to... Mm do what we love and I mean you and do I we have, craft, yeah? Yeah, we have learned and polished our craft for what 10 years or more it's quite silly telling us could you just do something else you know yeah for sure yeah Definitely. yeah refreshing yeah very very refreshing uh, uh, point of view and thanks for that I do appreciate your <laughs> yeah um, and it's to the point and I absolutely agree with you that's uh, yeah we wish for exactly that to do what we are passionate about, what we trained for so many years to do, right? Who wouldn't want to do that, particularly yeah. back home in Singapore? And do you feel like uh, in terms of the current pool of musicians we have bo both uh, in Singapore and those who are living abroad, that we have enough local musicians that are at a level where we can sustain our own music industry? Um, definitely, definitely, of course. Uh, I mean, if you, I mean, you have seen in in the UK, um, they they have a fantastic music industry, or they had probably with Brexit. <laughs> but when I was there, it was fantastic, and there were players with different levels of playing skills, and it was fine. 
I think in Singapore, as long as we all connect with each other and try to serve the society as a collective and not in so many different independent groups. There's so many independent groups where the flagship takes the largest portion of the pie mm-hmm. and every other smaller groups are sort of isolated from each other, they are impoverished and just, they just get like one funding and they just disappear after that. So I think we all need to connect with each other and just try to help each other. Like I said before, if there are certain academy or fellowships that really continue to develop everyone's career, things would be much better. And I mean, a lot of us who went overseas, we studied at world-class schools. So how bad can it be? Like really, how bad can it be? We are all we are all Asians, so if we are bad, we are just disgracing ourselves. So you know how how bad can it be? And even in Singapore, you know, I'm not saying that our our art schools are bad. I mean, some of I've met players, and they are great actually. So it's 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 about what happens after graduation, what happens after that paper. Mm. That's that's the biggest bridge that everyone needs to cross. You could be a fantastic player in conservatory, but after that, if you're not given the opportunity, the bridge to cross and to do something more, you, you would just fade away and yeah. you just fizzle lose out. It. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Out. Mm. Yeah, and I think the, the additional perks of having a locally sustained music industry is that all of us are in it to grow this scene mm-hmm. because this belongs to us. Yeah, you know we are hundred percent in it, and we want to grow it. We want to make it better for everybody for the future. Uh, whereas I, I think I, I cannot exactly say uh, the same if I'm not from that particular country. Mm-hmm. I might do things to develop my career, that's for sure. But in terms of growing something locally for Singapore, for Singaporeans, you know, uh, not not too sure about that. Yeah. If you can sum up just really quickly for me, right? Uh, what what would you like to s- contribute to the music scene, if possible? Um, I guess I could possibly say that I am more active in opera and ballet conducting than my other conducting colleagues. But feel free to correct me. Feel free to send a message over. Uh, but having and having trained in opera by one of the greatest operatic conductors today, Ricardo Muti. Uh, as well as having years of understudying and learning about ballet with the Varinsky Theatre and other theatres in Europe, I want to share my skills and collaborate with both the opera and ballet companies in Singapore and really build a reputation where, which we could be really proud of, like really proud to say that it, it is a Singapore thing and it's great because, like I said, the SEO has done a fantastic uh, program for themselves and they have created this Tamasic sound, with, or is it the Nanyang sound? I guess it's a Nanyang sound. So they have created mm-hmm. a unique identity and I really want to create that. And it's not just having you know, local ethnic costumes in opera or Peranakan, costumes and opera and stuff like that but we have to look past these uh, materialistic 
uh, facade and really create something where people could listen and people know, right, this is the Singapore Opera and this is what they have done and it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Our own sort of artistic take on music, right, in many different sort of forms. And uh, let's come back, right, to this, uh, your more uh, pragmatic side of things Mm -hmm. that you've mentioned uh, just now. That is, if, say, a young 18-year-old, right, full of dreams and passion about music and comes to you and say, hey, Amos, you know, I'm really looking to, like, get into... Uh, do music as a career full time, and I want to, you know, uh, study music and all this kind of stuff. What sort of pep talk would you give to this young person? Um, of course, I would probably tell him that's a really bad idea, <laughs> honestly <laughs> speaking. But then again, um, I mean, I, I, I do wish that someone would have told me years ago that it's a ridiculous idea. It's like, what am I thinking? Like, I just decided to be a musician and make some music. But let's just put like jokes aside. Um, I would say that no matter what job you take, um, you have to look at it as not a career, but rather as something you really want to do in life and as a mission which you have in life. And I believe that I've said quite a few times that you have to understand, you have to find the meaning behind the things that you do. Um, and a job is a, it's not just a, a career. You have to look past it. Having a good career doesn't necessarily give you validation in today's society. Maybe it's Singapore. It's a very toxic mentality. But if you try to look behind the meaning, I mean, the, sorry, if you try to look the meaning behind the things that we do you have to ask yourself like what is the mission what is the purpose of the job and when we really understand we realize that we are all the same so it doesn't really matter what job you do be it in the cultural sector in the social sector in the finance sector in medicine everything because once you find the true purpose of your job so for example if you are a doctor You have to think, I want to be a doctor because I want to save people. I want to make things like the place, everything better. And of course, you want that that whole validation. You You want the money and everything. But I'm just saying that perhaps we could just try to look past all that and try to look at the mission. And you would see it's every job has the same thing. Because, for example, I'm doing Food Panda, right? Uh... We used to feed the mind and soul as musicians, like I always say, and now I'm feeding the, you know, literally the physical body. Yep. So the, the purpose of the job, the, the mission is very similar. And once you can understand the meaning behind that and you do your job well, you will really lead a more fulfilling life. And of course, during that, if you do make a lot of money, it's 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 of course it's it's great. You know, it's great to make a lot of money, but um, you you shouldn't be discouraged because 
of the idea of this career hierarchy and everything. So I, I would say if an 18-year-old, let, let's go back to that question, if, if an 18-year-old or 16-year-old say, should I do music? I would ask him, like, what is the purpose you want to do music? Do you really like it? Do you just want to be a world-class pianist? Because if you want to be a world-class pianist, you don't have to study piano, you know. In today's world, you could just spend a lot of money hiring a good social media manager, post mm. a lot of videos of you playing the piano, give it two years, gain 100,000 followers. I'm pretty sure you end up in Carnegie Hall, you know, pretty sure about that. Yeah, because right. people want things which sells these days. It's, yeah. it's a very different world. But I would ask him, like, what is the purpose behind that? You want to be famous? Or you want to bring music to people. You want to do something a little more noble. I know it, it always sounds very noble. It sounds very idealistic. But sometimes being idealistic and instead of being too practical, it sort of feeds your soul a little bit and it mm. gives you a greater sense of well-being. Because yeah. we need to be idealistic sometimes. You know, We, mm. we need to believe in something that is really difficult to attain and we need to work towards a, a, a mission because if not, life would be so boring. You know, you just, you want to work something, you want to make that amount of money, you get a fantastic house and a family mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day, you'll be like, what have I done? Like, yeah. what am I doing? You know? Yeah, yeah, you feel empty on the inside, isn't it? Yeah. To a certain extent, when you hit that, particular milestones that you've been uh, aiming for all your life. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know what? You should charge money for that thing about hiring a teacher <laughs> and <laughs> post videos up for t <laughs> and get 100,000 subscribers or followers and you'll be sorted for life. I think, yeah, <laughs> you can charge money for that advice. So, um, and you know, it's been uh, such a joy speaking to you, hearing you speak uh, so honestly about so many things and I think I can uh, go there with you. And that is, uh, I, I don't know if you've received any sort of feedback about, oh, what is Amos trying to do with his article? What is he like? Is there some sort of, um, uh, is this a PR stunt or or what what is going on? So uh, hearing from you, right, could you just share with us, uh, were there any particular intentions or outcomes you're looking for when you wrote uh, your article for the Today? Okay, that is a very interesting question. And I think you should put it as like, the, the trailer? highlight, the, the trailer <laughs> and the highlight because everyone asks me the same thing. I've gotten hate messages. I've gotten good messages. Well, mostly good messages about yeah. that, but I've gotten some hate messages and I would, of course, like to explain, you know. It's a very interesting question. Uh, honestly, um, I would say that it wasn't to gain any sympathy or to blame anyone for my current predicament. I mean, you read it. Did you think it was the case? No. You know, yeah. yeah. So quite frankly, I'm just being really frank tonight. Uh, perhaps it was because I've read so many sob stories about people losing their jobs and blaming everyone else on the internet and in some places, in some local news too. And I decided, you know what? I need to write a commentary about my own experience and my own personal journey because things are not bad. Honestly, I'm, I quite enjoy the months doing what I did, you know, just delivering and stuff. I get to spend a lot of time with my wife. 
I get to lose weight. That's a good thing. Um, but it, it's, it's fine, you know, and I did not expect it to go viral. I thought it would be another boring commentary because I wrote it myself. And I know the media likes to edit things and make it a little more juicy. Mm. But I thought I'm going to write it in the purest form ever, like whatever I'm thinking. And when I read it, I was like, okay, this is super boring. And nobody's going to read it. It would just slip under the radar and fine. And I would say the intention of the article was actually to share that we should just look past the idea that a job is a career, you know, and to have a good career doesn't, it's, it's, it's not just having validation. It's so, it's quite shallow. And like I said mm-hmm. before, we should be trying to find, we, we should try to find the meaning behind the things that we do and things are always not that bad. We have control over our own fates. I mean, it's very cliche, but just look at it. I am, I, I used to be known as a conductor and perhaps in some societies, it's like the ivory tower of music. And now yeah. I'm doing this. And maybe that's why it's very, very powerful. But to me, for many years now, I just thought, I'm a conductor, I'm a collaborator, I make music with people. I'm just that normal guy. You know, honestly, I've been to some theatres and before I go up on stage, people would think that I'm I'm one of the theatre drivers, I'm a dancer, I'm a singer, I'm a librarian, you know, everything yeah. but not a conductor. Mm. Because we, we have to redefine the role of a conductor today. You know, it's not just being the maestro and being the king everyone is kind of equal so back to the whole thing about this article i just want to show i want to prove that it's fine to do something else and we have to do something else so i just want to say that look at me i'm a conductor and now i'm doing this so guys it's fine it's not the end of the world if you are in a really bad predicament or, or anything you just have to put your pride aside and just mm. do do something else. If I can put my pride aside and I do something to, to survive, you can do it. And on top of that, I also want to explain that there is no, it's, it's not a disgraceful job and all jobs are equal. Yeah. Everyone is equal in the ecosystem because I have to feed someone and that someone have to go save someone, you know. Yeah. So if I'm not feeding a doctor, a doctor would be tired and hungry, he will not save a person. You know, we're all connected in not just in Singapore, not just on Earth, it's in the universe. Everything is connected. There's cause and effect. So you just have to figure out where you stand and just be very patient and just do the things that you have to do. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And uh, thank you so much for the uh, clarification and giving us some clarity on, on your thoughts behind the article. It, it's such an interesting thing, right? Because all of a sudden, after your article came out, then there's the announcement of the new arts budget. Then there's the announcement of the University of the Arts. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, wow. Are, are we in Singapore really having yeah. a conversation? about the arts now which kind of got me like rather excited actually because yeah, all of a sudden people are talking about this it's right? a good thing to move yeah. forward in the arts and to do a bit more because you know it's 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 always the last thing that people want to contribute to but um 
And Ricardo Muti himself, he told me, even before he said this public, he used to say that, you know, it's it's very important. Uh, music, the performing arts, the arts and, and culture, it seems very insignificant, but it does feed the soul. Mm. You know, you, you need sustenance for your body and for the soul. You need, you need gratification. I, I mean, this sounds very crude, but, you know, some humans, we need like sex and we need some sort of ecstasy. I mean, why do people take drugs, you know? Yeah. It's, we need to feel that sort of mental gratification, the emotional gratification. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and some of us, or most of us, find it true music or the arts you know some people go to an art gallery some people listen to pop and rock music my wife listens to pop pop rock metal and death metal and i'm a classical musician so mm. i i do understand you know that we need the arts we need this and it's very very important so mm. i hope that singapore you know tries to move a little forward. I'm not saying that we should just dump $500 million into the art scene right now, but... No, that's an objection. Step by step. <laughs> yeah, step. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, uh, final question for you. Uh, sounds like you're going to jet off in the not-too-far-away future. So, uh, do you have plans now to stay connected with the Singapore music scene and... Yeah, what are your, your thoughts? Do you have any uh, plans or projects that you hope to start to plant a seed in Singapore? Yes, I definitely do plan to stay connected. Uh, I did organize the first opera and ballet conducting masterclass in February. Surprisingly, it was really well received. I mean, we did do the entire safe distancing and everything. So guys, we did it properly. It was fine. And we are hoping to create a series of masterclasses in opera and ballet conducting because they are not, I mean, it was the first time that we did it and we want to continue. And we have plans to invite ballet dancers from around the world to share their craft over Zoom at least. So they Mm, could demonstrate some of the terms that conductors need to know, like fuetes and stuff. And we would know. Nice. Um, I I do run a little project century. Uh, mm. It has been very difficult as the school of the deaf have been shut down with the pandemic and safety distancing. It's also difficult to organize anything because the hearing and visually impaired rely a lot on touch and haptic fit- feedback. You know. Mm, okay. um, yeah, I plan to continue that. And also, it's very important that I'm trying not to make it into a vanity project because, um, unfortunately, there are quite a few vanity projects in Singapore that, you know, we we try to do something for the society, but in the end, it it doesn't seem that noble. You know, there are many causes out there which involve the performing arts. But when one performs music for the less fortunate, one has to think, how does that benefit them? You know, mm. like they would probably prefer you give them cash instead of using the cash to create a, a performance. You know, it makes absolute no sense. You know, yeah. why do they have to sit in and listen to you perform and you got 100,000 from NAC? And why do they have to do that? So yeah. like I mentioned before, we artists need to find the mission behind the purpose of our action. 
yeah. and act on the, the 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 whole mission, perhaps to find a real issue in our society and make use of the skills you have to solve them. I mean, we are all human. The deepest urge in our nature is the desire to be important. Uh, and philanthropy is usually carried out because people want to feel important. Yeah. So it is the, the status yeah. that comes along with that. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I think it's very crucial to try to put away this desire. I mean, we are not monks, we are not saints, but try to just put aside this desire and instead just give appreciation to the people around us through music. So we have to really evaluate, you know, if somebody does a course. So like like Sentire, I, I actually do everything for free. And mm. we just curate programs where these communities can appreciate the music and feel that they are involved. They feel that they are part of the society, the part of the whole community because because we, we don't want music to be something for the sort of bourgeois or something yeah. for the specific social class. So mm, if the aristocrats, right? Yeah. yeah. So if we could remove a label that these hearing and visually impact can't enjoy, they would feel like they are being appreciated in society and they would feel important. You know, mm. so that's the thing because Centurion, unfortunately, at this time, we can't afford to give them a lot of money. We can't afford to donate a lot of finances to them. So we try to improve their lives through a different way. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much, Amos. Uh, with that, right. we have to wrap up this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show. And it's been absolutely wonderful speaking right. to you. It's been really, really fun. Thank you very much. Yeah. Such a, a refreshing conversation, really. And <laughs> I, I, I know I say that many times throughout this conversation and I mean it wholeheartedly because it's not easy to, to come by where I have a guest that just goes full on. You know, they don't tiptoe right. around the shallow end at all. They jump right in with you. They go and then they say their mind, which is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well, I am I am just a regular Joe. You know, I I am just if if you just compare me me with everyone else, like I said before, I I do enjoy Netflix. I mean, I'm watching the latest Snowpiercer right now. Hey, me too. Um, yeah, yeah, there it's fantastic, go. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm a really regular Joe. You know, I, I do play the Nintendo Switch with my wife. Occasionally, I watch anime. You know, I'm a very regular person, and I think that it's important that we just do. We try not to be pretentious. We try not to be bourgeois we should use music and music, you know, the very primal purpose of music is to bring people together. You know, years mm. ago, thousands of years ago, when the first caveman, I know, hit some rocks and make some sounds, he used to call his tribe together and, you know, do something. So yeah. we should always remember that that's the purpose in music. It's not to show off your social status or anything. It's to bring people together. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, please uh, take care of yourself. And All right. You I, take I look, care too. I look forward to your updates when you are off to Japan and right. Russia. Thank you. Yeah. Please keep your right. social media um, definitely <laughs> up to date because you know uh, all of us are trapped here while you jet yes. away. So <laughs> yeah, keep us updated with whatever that's right. going on with your life. Okay. Yeah. So great. once again, yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, so 
for all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.